Hello and welcome back to another episode of Under the Lights. Another week has gone past and we are still in the same situation, staying at home and protecting the NHS. However, football is likely to come back in Germany in the next couple of weeks. The Bundesliga is going to start. No change as of yet to the Premier League, although conversations have been had. There have been some interesting uh, situations and ideas that have been put forth. But the main point of this episode today is we're going to have a look at our Premier League team of the season with uh, a bit of a twist. So with that in mind, let's get into it. My name is Tom Murray. So yes, we are back for another episode and this time we're going to look at the uh, Premier League team of the season. But Callum, we're going to add a twist to uh, our first 11 and uh, what exactly is that? Yeah, um, I think it would probably be a bit more interesting to add a twist to it because I think uh, really the season or three quarters of the season that we just had would essentially be nine or ten Liverpool players plus Kevin De Bruyne, maybe another centre-back from elsewhere. So I don't think that would be too much to debate. The, the twist um, that I thought we could add into this is that myself and Tom have each made a Premier League team of the season, an 11, in a formation that's suitable, not sort of eight strikers. Uh, but the, the twist is that you can only have one player from each uh, Premier League club, so only one Liverpool player in there. Uh, and that means, obviously, that you've got to choose 11 players from 11 different clubs. So, uh, so it gets you thinking, A, who, who you can really bring in there, but also who has to sell. Exactly. I actually found it quite difficult. There's a few players that I'm sure quite a few of you listening in will be thinking, how on earth have they not been included in the team? I don't know how easy you found it, Callum, but I certainly found it quite tricky. Yeah, it was, it was tricky in the fact that I'd probably... What's, what's important is that the players that we've put in aren't necessarily the best players from their club. It's just you're trying to make the best eleven that you can. So you might think that the player of the season for Liverpool was Mane, for instance... But actually, you've got some good attacking wide options from other clubs, whereas there might be a specific area that you're thinking, oh, maybe there aren't many centre-backs, or I might put Van Dijk in or something like that. So in that respect, it's quite difficult. I, I sort of went through every team and maybe put who I thought were their standout players or players of the season, then went through made a rough 11 some players I could some teams I could go through and dismiss quite easily because I couldn't really you know the likes of Bournemouth didn't really think they had many standouts Palace even Spurs I would have said Son was probably their player of the season but I didn't think he's had as good a season as players from other clubs so yeah, you could, you could whittle it down a bit and then uh, I found myself having a few situations where I might have a Wolf striker and a Norwich winger or then I might swap it around the other way or sort of things like that. So in the end, I've, I've come up with what I think is a, it's a pretty good team based on the last few months. There are some players who are in positions I did find I had to think of a player to like go in a particular position. Uh, I actually swapped a few players around. I've certainly made a few changes and actually in the about the last 15, 20 minutes before we decided to record the podcast, someone went in and someone went out. So what formation have you gone for? That's, that sounds like my fancy football team every um, every Saturday, just an hour before the early kickoff. So <laughs> I think I'm fine a week and then I have one look at it half past 11 and go, oh no, make a change and it uh, ends up coming back to all me. I have gone with a classic, well, I suppose you could call it a 4 4 2. It's more of a 4 2 2 2. And yeah, two central midfielders, two wingers and an old-fashioned 
nine and ten up front. I well, I've actually gone pretty similar. In fact, almost exactly the same. I thought I'd go for the classic four four two. And my one of my favourite formations is the four two three one. I actually use it on my football manager save, and I haven't changed for about the six seasons that I've done it. And the fans seem to like it. But no, I think for the Premier League, a classic four four two is good to get uh, the players that you want to get in. Um, a lot of people will probably be saying, well, you know, that's that's so basic, but it's, it's the classic I formation. I think people care about the formation. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't sell the formation before I chose the players. I tried to choose the players and then see what, see what formation you can get them into. I mean, but to be honest, mine, you can even put mine into a um, 4-3-3 with one holding and, and sort of two inside forwards. And, and yeah, so as it's football these days, it's quite, quite fluid. Let's start between the six then. Who have you got as your number one? My number one, there's certainly a good number of goalkeepers in the league, but I have gone for Dean Henderson of Sheffield United between the sticks. Sheffield United have only conceded 25 Premier League goals, which is actually the second fewest number of goals in the league behind Liverpool. He's one of the reasons why United are doing so well in the league this season. And will Sheffield United, they've got him for two years in a row so far. Are they going to be able to sign him permanently? Manchester United, they're not quite sure on his situation. But then again, not many players are sure on this, of their situation in the current climate. So Henderson in goal for me, who have you gone for? It's a, good, it's a good pick. I mean, Henderson will be a popular choice, I'm sure, um, as would someone like Pope. I mean, obviously, Allison, if you want to use your little player on a goal, on a goalkeeper. But, yeah, it's a good point you make. And, and uh, in the current climate, I think, other than Liverpool, I think Sheffield United will be one of the teams most hoping, from a football point of view, that this um, season continues because they've obviously got that game in hand, level on points of Wolves, and they've got a real chance of getting some European football, which might not be the case with some of the possible outcomes that the Premier League could come up with. I have gone down a slightly different route, and it might be a bit left field, but I've gone with Ben Foster of Watford. Watford in a relegation dogfight. They've obviously struggled, but just the sheer number of saves that Ben Foster has made this season. With Henderson, but Sheffield United has an 11, not just defence as well, but they're so compact, they're so regimented, and actually, in terms of shots faced... Dean Henderson's dealt well with what he's had to deal with, but he's got a defence in front of him that's really, really taken care of him. And quite actually, quite reminds me of the days of Salampton when we used to go and watch Fraser De Forster in goal, and you'd actually find that he'd only actually make one save or, or maybe two in a game. But the amount of clean cheats he got was phenomenal, and that's the same for Henderson. The other end of the spectrum is Ben Foster, who I think without him, Watford would probably be down where Norwich are and, and would be out of it. They struggled, but I think he's made, he's right up there with, with the most saves in the season, and a couple of saves that he's made that have just out of this world. And, and despite them being in the bottom, um, he's one of the top point scorers for goalkeepers on fantasy football, which just about says it all. So I've used a Watford player, because you definitely wouldn't get another Watford player. In, in amongst the, the starting eleven, so I can use some of those higher clubs in in other positions in outfield. So let's go on to the back four. Let's start with the right back. Who have you gone for? I have gone with um, Angus. For me, it was well, it wasn't an easy choice because you're always moving people around, but it, it's an easy choice for me in terms of what Manchester United player I think should be in there, and that's uh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Um, spoiler alert. Yeah, I think he's been phenomenal. I don't think you've got many other choices from that club, and actually for. Quite a while, I didn't have any Man United players. Actually, I didn't have any Chelsea, Spurs, or Man United, and I thought maybe that's just me and my um, non-Big Six fan clubs. But I ended up putting uh, Wan-Bissaka in there. I think he's had a great debut season. 
a lot of money, a lot of expectation on him, maybe slightly clouded with the whole Harry Maguire, 80 million next to him. But he, for me, is, is the best defensive fullback in the Premier League. And actually, he was for me the season before with Crystal Palace. I think he's fantastic. And I think him, Trent Alexander-Arnold, obviously, and Pereira probably argue are the, are the standout for the season in terms of new right-backs. Just felt Liverpool and Leicester, I could have used them all over the pitch. With uh, Liverpool and Leicester, you've got certainly a lot of players to choose from, but where are you going to put them? So I've actually gone for the same Aaron Wabasaka at right-back. This was quite a difficult decision because I initially had a Dharma Traore in the right-back position because he has been deployed as sort of a, sort of a right-back, a right-wing-back. But then I decided to go for a different Wolves player because just the chopping and changing that went on but we'll find out who putting in instead later but I've gone for Wabbis can't be happening any of these wingers at, wingers at right back and no. backs at centre back and all this stuff this is a, this is a, a proper podcast all this amateur hour stuff <laughs> Absolutely, no thinking outside the box here. So, go Aaron Bissaka, he's been really solid for Manchester United. Yeah, there could be the argument that sometimes his positioning isn't great, which is why he has to run back and make some fantastic tackles. But I uh, I think he's been really, really solid. I rated him when he was at Crystal Palace. He's made the step up to Manchester United really quite well. And I think he could be a real asset in the future. I mean, he's a great talent. And, you know, a couple more years at Manchester United and he'll be, might even challenge for best right back in the league. I still think that Trent Alexander Arnold is the best right back in the league but the, the the team would be full of Liverpool players but we're not doing that they are they are both the best at certain elements of um, fullback play I think defensively as I said Wamsaka is the best but Trent is, is clearly the best going forward and I think that's that. those are a good couple of options for England to have uh, an international tournament uh, based on whether you're playing teams that you want to attack or maybe you're playing against wingers that you want to um, isolate one on one and and man mark I think one Saka he actually reminds me quite a lot of Nathaniel Klein both going through the Palace ranks um, defensively very very agile and very very difficult to get past one-on-one as we saw all those years at Samaris mm. but yeah one Saka I think he I think he will once Manchester United are back in the Champions League and playing some of the best teams in the world I think we'll really see him come into his own let's go on the other side then let's go with the number three the left back and then we'll, we'll tackle the, the centre backs after that who have you gone with in the, in the left back position a lot of choice there is a lot of choice however I've actually put a Wolves player there I've gone for Johnny at left back I think he's been really quite an asset for Wolves you and I have commentated on Saints against Wolves he was lethal when he played even 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 in the loss last season the 3-1 loss um, well Saints beat them 3-1 but even so he was really good for Wolves going forward and especially this season as well when Wolves won he was an asset down that left side and I think he's just been a really good solid player for them this season I'm not going to lie he's, he's more of a shoehorn more of like a thinking of I've got only a few number of clubs available left to choose from. I've got to pick a left back from one of them. So I did originally have Van Arnholt at left back, but I thought Johnny has done more for for his club. And currently, well, they're sixth in the league. So um, it's a, if you've got Wolves left and, and a left back, then it's a pretty simple choice. So again, I wouldn't say that he is a standout performer for Wolves. But obviously, you know they've been fantastic for the last couple of seasons. And you are right, I didn't really think much of him because he, he never really stood out from what I saw. But I do remember when they were playing down at St Mary's that coming in on that right foot, which is strange for a, a left wing back, it did often seem to open up for him and, and, and he did start to, um, to worry when he got in and around the area. I've 
gone to Merseyside and gone with Gardenia of Everton. I think he's been their best player this season. It's amazing how often he's involved in the goals, whether scoring them or definitely setting the mark. Which for a left back to be that creative, I suppose the modern game is getting that way, and you can argue that the lads of Liverpool are doing that. But for your fullbacks to be uh, so creative, and and he's and he's a real leader up there as well. And he's a quality player, and he's been good for a good few seasons. Gardenia was a good signing for Everton. So I've gone with uh, I've gone with him. He's fantastic, and I as a set piece taker, there aren't too many better with a left foot in the Premier League. Now we're going on to the two mountains in the middle. I'm going to go with first centre back. I've put a Leicester player in. I've gone for uh, Shadla yeah. Soyuncu. Yeah, I'll stop you there. I've got me as well. Um, so we can we can hit this one together. Well, Leicester have got 28 goals conceded third fewest in the league considering last season he was brought in he was a bit of an unknown he's now stepped up to be one of the most solid centre-backs in the league this season and one of the reasons that Leicester are up where they are he's formed a brilliant partnership with Johnny Evans or whoever comes uh, beside him and that has made Leicester incredibly dominant when it comes to defensive work it's no surprise actually when you go through the Leicester team it's no surprise that they are where they are and, and doing so well and so comfortably in the top four because they've got so, there's so many players I could have put in this team. We mentioned Pereira. I've been a massive advocate of Wilfred and Didi for a long time. I think he's one of the best at doing what he does, just screaming the back four. But sorry to you, yes, when we said it in our podcast at the beginning of the season that we thought Leicester would break into the top six but not any higher because um, the issue was that they just lost Harry Maguire we may have even done a podcast just before Harry Maguire went and they didn't get a replacement and they were looking at Lewis Dunk and obviously Sonchi was there last season but wasn't deemed good enough to be in the start 11 my goodness what an absolute monster he's been at the back this season seen him a a number of times and I mean he's got a magnet for a head wins absolutely everything he's one of those no nonsense like he's Turkish don't know how much English he speaks but you imagine he doesn't speak very much he just comes in no nonsense just wins everything and he's just he's a bully there's nothing elegant about the way that he plays football he's not it's not one of those sorts of players that you see dribbling out from the back a lot. He's just massive. He's robust. And I just felt he deserved a real shout. Even in the team of the season, you could argue that you could put him in there along with the rest of the Liverpool back four. Because I just felt for, for what he's done, coming in and Harry Maguire being there, and he was to be probably the weak link he certainly hasn't hasn't ended up that way and he's had a great debut season well debut starting season for Leicester yeah it's almost putting a little saint spin on it it's almost like when Jan Bednarek was brought in that one season the first season that he was here under Pellegrino and he was hardly played he wasn't deemed that Good. Even under Hughes, he was sort of alienated. But since he's come into the side under Ralph, he's become one of Southampton's better players. So there's a sort of an analogy there. I, th- I still think that Soyuncu is the, is the better player, but just a, a bit, so, something a bit like the Bednarek story. But alongside Soyuncu, I've decided to put my Liverpool player and I've gone for Virgil van Dijk, who is arguably the best. Well, he is the best defender in the world, I would think. Um, I've gone in early with a Liverpool player. I mean, Liverpool have only conceded 21 goals. He's not just the best defender in the world. He's one of the best players in the world. And the way that he makes defending look so, so easy. He's the defender that every striker, every attacking player against Liverpool this season has found it so, so difficult to get past. 
There's so many superlatives you can talk about Virgil van Dijk. I don't have enough, really. There's not really much you can have to say or need to say or can say about Virgil van Dijk, can he? He's just, you know, he was in the top three for the Ballon d'Or, just gone. So he's, he's clearly uh, one of the standout players in the Premier League. I've used my Sheffield United token on this one rather than in goal. Um, as I mentioned, defensively, it's really difficult with Sheffield United, you know, because I don't know who their standout player has been because... It's such a team effort, and really, you could put any of the back three in here. John Fleck and Lundstrom have been fantastic in that central midfield, uh, and, and you know, Emma Stevens and George Bulldog on on, on the wing backs. They've just been fantastic, and they've got sort of a potent threat in that number of strikers they have to choose from as well. But I've, I've gone with the captain O'Connell uh, on that left side between Dina and Sainte just in that centre-back role. Again, a leader, left-footed, fantastic in the air. And like I said, to be honest, I couldn't put any of their back three in. But being a captain, leader and left-footed, I've, I've gone with O'Connell in there. Yeah, it's really difficult to pick any of these Sheffield United defenders, like to single one out because they are just, they've just been so solid and there aren't really too many standout players for them. But because they work so well as a team, you could argue that they have been, if Liverpool weren't doing what they were doing at the moment, then you say that collectively Sheffield United should be team of the season for what they've achieved. Let's move on now to the midfield. Let's start with let's start with the right mid or the right winger, whoever you have. I have gone. I'm using my Aston Villa token. I'm going for Jack Grealish uh, to go into that position. That I, I had to move it around. I initially had Adama Traore, then moved him to right back and etc. But no, I've, I, I thought I've got to have Jack Grealish in there because nine goals for Villa, eight assists for an English player. He's had one of the most chance and goal contributions of any player in the Premier League. He, he's what makes Aston Villa tick. And when you're down at that end of the table, you need a standout player, someone who can win you a game out of nothing. And Jack Grealish, as much as I don't like the way he wears his shin pads or his hairstyle, I think I've got I've got to have him in. He's a, he's a fantastic player. We'll do both of our wings. I've got Grealish on the other side. I've gone with the, the left wing. And obviously, when I mentioned earlier, he, he was the player that I could push into a midfield three and he could be that kind of one of those number play that number eight number six role you know he's taken over the uh, role of one man team from Wilfred Zaha this season hasn't he really uh, you know Aston Villa wouldn't be anywhere without him you know you don't, you, you don't like the, the shin pads and the kind of hair and all the rest of it but I, I, I don't know I quite like the kind of maverick eccentric player in the Premier League I don't think we have too many of them when you used to have your Cantonars and the Berbatovs and those kind of laid back players uh, it, was, it was unfortunate really because I was looking forward to, I did the Aston Villa game I can't remember if, oh yeah it was with yourself wasn't it and uh, when we did the Saints Aston Villa game I was I was quite looking forward to watching Grealish because I obviously had been talked about a lot I hadn't seen a great deal I just watched him and I was as much as I was there to be neutral and, and but support Saints I wanted to see what the fuss was about with Grealish and kind of kept an eye on him and he probably had his worst game of the season so Along with the rest of the Aston Villa team. Yeah, yeah. I was watching something that Sky Sky Sports were interviewing uh, Dean, um, almost said Dean Henderson, Dean Smith, just on a tangent. And he um, they said about you know, how do you, 
how how's the season been? He said inconsistency, and he said the one that stood out as the, the poorest game they've had is the one at St Mary's. So yeah, it wasn't just Jack Grealish, but yeah, clearly he's he's carried them on his back, and the only reason they've got a chance of staying in the league is him. Really, I think he would have gone to the Euros this year. I think. He's got every chance of going next year and he's got every chance of actually getting himself a big transfer during the um, during the window. So again, not, not too much you can say about Greenish, but it's one of those players that can play in the wing, can play in a midfield three, he can play in a number 10, he can play off the striker. He's um, one of those players that can, he can put a shift in. It's just he's so good on the ball technically that quite a lot of Berber tops got such a good first touch that he can kind of wait for the players to come in and like the Deli Alley or even Jack Wilshire and just wait until the last minute to get past someone. Or, and he's also taken over from Zaha as being uh, the most failed player as he was in the championship. So clearly players can't get near him. On the other side, on the right mid, I've uh, you've already mentioned him a couple of times, I've gone with Chore. There's a toss-up for me with Chore or Raul Jimenez. I think they've both been brilliant this season. Actually, together as a partnership, they've, they've probably been one of the best partnerships we've seen in the league this season doing tremendously well Wolves in sort of joint sixth place at the moment and he's just become that player that every opposition fan hoped he wouldn't become and all the Middlesbrough fans when they had him and, and now Wolves were really hoping it would that speed and that power would kind of come together and he's learned how to use it and he, is, he has been unplayable at times this season he's, as I said he's all strength it's all muscle and despite the fact that he doesn't apparently doesn't even work out I don't know how much you believe about that but he's so pacey and uh, he's just he's got to the point where he's he's learned how to use that and he can't even forget he comes from Barcelona so the ball can obviously play but he's uh, yeah now that he's got his Herculean hairstyle and <laughs> look, looks like he could be in one of those movies yeah they're really getting the best out of him so I've got him as my as my right winger on that subject of weightlifting, if he's not weightlifting or doing that much fitness, I want to know what his regime is. My word. He is an absolute... He's an absolute unit. <laughs> absolute unit. Well, something different that went, um, to what was at Villa and Middlesbrough. A player that's already been mentioned, but someone that maybe you wouldn't put in your team, and I don't think you have, but I've gone for Son on that left side. He's got nine Premier League goals, seven assists this season. He's filled in well for Harry Kane when he's been injured and arguably scored one of the goals of the season against Burnley where he took it from the edge of his own penalty area all the way through however if we were judging it just on how good the goals were that they scored you could arguably put Cuco Martina in a team of the seasons with that absolute banger against Arsenal but Son I've always rated him I think he's a really really good player he's very pacey he's performed consistently at a very high level in the Premier League and he's so dangerous for Spurs like you got Kane as their top goal scorer can get a goal out of anything. Son, I believe, all round is a technically better player. He brings a bit more. Harry Kane, obviously, is a lethal finisher, and he's the reason that Spurs have been able to make that step up into the top four. But Son, for me, is, I think he brings pace, he brings power, his shooting is great, and also he can provide assists really well. He's dangerous on the pitch, and, uh, and right now he's probably pretty dangerous off that sort of picture of him with a, with a gun in the, in the career military. So he's, um, he's spending uh, his... Target practice. Lockdown, not necessarily, not necessarily lockdown, is it? I'm not sure how, uh, how often he's, he's doing the fitness regime that he might be set by the uh, by the Spurs management team. But he, he's, he's been their best player, Spurs. But I think Spurs have had a really, really crap season, to be honest. And, and apart from that goal, there aren't many 
occasions where I thought oh, Spurs under Mourinho have, have been worth watching. I, I would argue that Troy's had a better season than him. Well, that's that's the beauty of this is that you know, if you had the choice, then you'd probably put Troy in. But then if you had the choice of unlimited players from any team, then neither of them would get a look in. So it's um it's how you juggle about the players on your team. And and as you said, without Kane, they needed someone to step up, and he's uh, he's the one who's done that the most. Not had the impact that Kane would have, but he certainly had uh, a better season than those around him. Right, centre midfield. Then I've got a kind of a uh, attacking creative player alongside someone who I could well he could attack as well but can break things up and just to get that bit of balance to my team I've got Traore who's hugging the touchline Grealish who's kind of roaming inside one skill one pace and then um, trying to complement the two in the middle because I like to have a bit of balance in my teams I've I've gone with well let's go with one players that we're both bound to have surely um Kevin De Bruyne is in my centre midfield. I would have been very surprised if he wasn't in yours. Funnily enough, probably would be the standout individual of the entire season, including the Liverpool team that would dominate this Premier League team of the year and look like breaking all manner of records. But De Bruyne on his own, you could argue he's had his best season since he's been in the Premier League. Uh, yeah, what, what do you need to say about De Bruyne? I mean, anyone listening to this podcast is gonna is, is not going to argue with that inclusion and, and knows exactly why. Yeah, you've got to have Kevin De Bruyne in the team. I mean, in my opinion, he's the best player all round in the league. Eight goals, 16 assists. His breadth of passing is just beautiful. He can hit a ball anywhere he wants it any way he wants it and he's just an all-round superb player anyone listening to this podcast as you said it's not going to disagree with the inclusion of Kevin De Bruyne however I think finding the the person to sit next to him in the midfield was a bit more difficult for me but I've actually gone for Mateo Kovacic from Chelsea I think he's been really solid for them in a season where Chelsea haven't really been able to uh well obviously they haven't they haven't been able to sign players. Frank Lampard has done a sterling job with the youth. They're finally utilising that. However, in amongst that youth, you've got to have a high-quality, experienced head. And I think Kovacic has really brought that to the Chelsea side, and he's been really, really solid in midfield. Doesn't do much uh, in terms of creating goals, only two goals and three assists, but his breaking up of the play is fantastic. And you've got to have someone like that in midfield in order to succeed. I haven't got him in my team. Chelsea fans will claim, I think, that he's been the best player this season. I do really like Kovacic. I mean, I, I saw more of him last season than I have this season. And you can tell, technically, that he's a real player. He's obviously been brought in from Real Madrid. He's just a really good player. He's tidy on the ball, but he's also one that's happy to take the ball on the half turn and, and, and take it from safe possession in his own half to um, kind of running with the ball. And, and he's one of those players that will really drive with it. Uh, which which bodes well in the Premier League. He hasn't stood out to me enough to put him in in my team. And actually, I haven't put any Chelsea players in because I think they were flying at the beginning. And the two players that stood out were Mount and Abraham. And then they like the feel like they've kind of dwindled and, and petered off a bit in maybe since Christmas. Um, probably before then and that was when the goals were drying up for, for both those players so uh, like you said he doesn't exactly score or assist a lot but he, he's he's clearly doing enough right to impress the Chelsea fans just not enough for me to get into this team I, I've used my Liverpool token on, on the captain Jordan Henderson and put him 
in alongside Kevin De Bruyne seems to be a real kind of debatable figure in in the Premier League and that and has been for a long time and that a lot of people just don't get it and just don't rate him don't understand what he does for England or for Liverpool even in the last two three seasons where they've been phenomenal he's captain that side he plays every game he covers every blade of the grass he brings so much energy that's not even just that he's I think because he runs so much people don't realise how good he is on the ball and actually he's gone from being sideways pass Henderson to I think he really took that on board and some of the balls he can play usually curling it down the channel almost kind of like a Jorginho will do at times I don't know he passes sideways a lot but he actually is technically really good on the ball and he's led that side along with Van Dijk to where they are and he's also the midfield three don't get enough credit either because they're, what they do in a, in a Klopp side allows the front three to attack and not really defend and also allows your um, fullback and wingbacks to do what they're doing uh, Alden and Henderson usually are the two and they get through a lot of work covering for those fullbacks and, and winning that midfield battle. And then, of course, they've got Fabinho sitting in there as well, doing what he does. But, yeah, just to be captaining the first Liverpool side, potentially, to win the Premier League ever, beating records left, right and centre. They looked for a long time like they were going to go unbeaten. And it's a great side, but it takes a great manager and, and the influence of, of a great captain. I think they've got two great captains in Van Dyke, who you've chosen, and, and Henderson, who I've chosen. I think um, we've probably chosen those players on quite for a lot of similar reasons. But I'm a big uh, fan of what Henderson does. And on the kind of Marmite analogy, I'd, uh, I'd be on the, the love side rather than, the, rather than a hater. I don't know about yourself. Yeah, I think he's always gone like under the radar. He's one of my, those unsung heroes. And he's really, as you say, he's really adapted his game from someone who just passed the ball sideways to now be a really key player for Liverpool. And I think he goes under the radar and people don't really appreciate what he does purely because Liverpool have got so many good attacking options that the headlines are more about them. Everyone raves about Van Dijk as well in the defence, but sometimes the likes of Wijnaldum, the likes of Henderson just don't get the plaudits that they deserve. I think Henderson is a superb player. He runs the midfield. He cha- he, he controls the tempo of the game. Um, for me, whilst I wouldn't rate him as my highest Liverpool player, I certainly understand why he's he's in your team because uh, I think he's been absolutely sensational this season. And he's, he keep every year, I think he takes it up to another level. And as we've seen, Liverpool improve year on year at the moment. And it, as you say, he's going to very, very likely captain his side to their first Premier League win. Yeah, he's not going class him as the best Liverpool player or even the player to win the PFA Player of the Year, although he's been talked about in, in that regard. But the way in which this goes, I, I thought that there are better players in other positions. And, and central midfield is a position where actually I didn't struggle, but there was there was a place to be filled by a Liverpool player. And we also did this season, you said about adapting, he, he adapted his game in that formation to be the right-sided central midfielder to get forward more and have more of an impact on the team going forward, which he hadn't really done. He was always a competitive sitting midfielder, uh, box to box, but the, the defensive work, he'd get through a lot of. And when Fabinho got injured, it was him 
who stepped up and filled that role and actually did it really well as the captain. So in, in terms of adapting, when you can lose a player who's as specific in his role as, as Fabinho and didn't really have an out-and-out replacement, he started in there and they continued to be the dominant force that they were. Yeah, sorry, so you're gonna, we're going to go on to strikers then. So we've got two players each. I think uh, I get a feeling it's pretty self-explanatory with the teams that we've got left. For me, uh, my first striker, I've gone for Aubameyang. He's got 17 Premier League goals, second highest scorer in the league. He is Arsenal's player who is just a cut above the rest. And I think he's the reason that they are, I mean, Arsenal are in mid-table. But I think he's the reason that they are even as high as mid-table. He is their world-class talent. And because I don't think Arsenal's squad is full of particularly world-class talent. They have very good players, but he's the one that, you know, he's, he's the standout. He's got pace. He always seems to score against Saints as well whenever he's played. But he is just a fantastic all-round striker. And, uh, he scores against everyone. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. He scores every he's, he's, a, he's a goal of the game guy. You know, he'll not do much at times, but he'll get an assist or he'll get a goal. And let's be honest, he's carrying the Arsenal team. I mean, they are they are the poorest Arsenal team I've seen in a long time. And that's saying something because they've been great for a while. Uh, and without him... I mean, where are they in the league? They're, they're sort of low, sort of eighth, ninth, something like that. They might even be low. They might even be tenth. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure, but they're definitely, you know, in in that group in the middle. I mean, they have, so they're having a, they're, they're lower of like the top half, and they're um, and they're essentially relying on him to be in that position. So if he's not in that team, like that is a woeful for Arsenal. And then you take out Aubameyang. I mean, where on earth would that football team be? and that club beat and they, it's been a few seasons now but they I mean you look at their team and actually they are rubbish aren't they I mean they've got in terms of quality like Arsenal quality Ozil is a quality player but he never does it so you count him out Pepe looks like he should be a decent signing a good player but he hasn't really turned up yet at the back shambles <laughs> absolute shambles of the whole team Central midfield Xhaka Rubbish. Torreira, not good enough. Guendouzi, young. And they're hoping they might turn into someone, but you know, they've been hoping that for 10 years with a number of players. So without going on an absolute Arsenal rant, um, a has been unbelievable. One of the top goal scorers and his side is Arsenal and it's still intense. And when people say that he's not going to go this summer, well, if he doesn't go this summer, then um, he's got absolutely no ambitions to win anything. He is far too good for that Arsenal team where they are at the moment. And he will get an offer to go somewhere else. And uh, I'm pretty sure Arsenal will accept it. It'll be interesting to see if he plays his football in the Premier League next season for another side. Because I know United's and Chelsea's have been linked with him. Um, and he's probably the the best, certainly in the top three, best goal scorers, out-and-out goal scorers in the Premier League. Maybe say Aguero is up there with him. I'd say those are, and Harry Kane, those are probably three in terms of that type of player, just goal-scoring centre-forwards. Um, he's in my team, by the way, <laughs> as well. Yeah, so, yeah, he's one of the top goal scorers. You could argue Vardy. But we've obviously used our list to players elsewhere, so you can't put him in as one of the top goal scorers. And the other one is, I think, pretty obvious as well. As Southampton fans, am I uh, am I along the right lines that I've got your other striker correct? Yeah, absolutely. I've gone for Shane Long. 
Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shay Adams. Yeah, no, I mean, Danny Ings is, is up there with the Jack Grealish, Wilfred Zaha comparison in terms of a, of a one-man team in respect that he, I mean, he does what he does. So he can't carry the team on his back from being a centre-forward. But without his goals, Southampton would be dead and buried in the Premier League. Um, and when they were having such a torrid time, he was that kind of shining light and that player had the quality to turn things around and put them into a safe position in the Premier League. He's he's more than just a goal scorer. His link-up plays fantastic. He drops in. And to be honest, I think nine out of ten people who do this podcast would put in Danny Ings, would put in Jack Grealish, would put in Kevin De Bruyne because they are probably the three easiest players to start with in this in this um, game, if you want to call it that, to put in because immediately you think, okay, who is by far and away the best player for their team? And and, and those three stand out. And uh, Danny Ings is is up there, was fighting for the uh, for the golden boot before this all happened. He actually did tail off a little bit for goals. He had that period of time where the winter where he was scoring every single game, like literally every single game, he was getting goals and assists. So uh, he's had a great season. To come back from where he was with the injuries that he had at Liverpool, to come home to Southampton and to be doing what he's doing in the Premier League and obviously in the, in that cup game against Portsmouth as well, he had a great time. He's a shoe in for this alternative eleven that we're doing. Absolutely. I mean, 49% of Southampton goals scored 15 goals. He's just, a, he's, he's a hero for Southampton. And as you said, where would we be without him? Just a, a sort of um, a quick fire question, but what's one, what, what's your favourite goal of his this season? You know what, you know, earlier when you said about the song goal, I suddenly thought to myself, I don't remember anything from last season. <laughs> it feels like it's been so long ago. I was thinking, what are the goals in the season from the one we've just had. And I, I can't remember, there are probably numerous unbelievable goals, but I can't remember, um, you mentioned that song one, I can't remember any other ones that were out of this world. The one that stands out for me, and I had the pleasure of commentating on it, was, uh, was the goal that he scored against Spurs, which was kind of Letizia-esque in that dink over the head of the defender, leaving him for dead and then just slotting it in past the goalkeeper. That that was my favourite, but I'm sure you could probably remember some other ones. Yeah, obviously the one against Spurs is the one that stands out in terms of quality. The way he's chipped it over Aldevaro, then hit it on the left foot volley into the bottom corner. I mean, the, the Spurs goalkeeper doesn't even move it just goes straight into the bottom corner it's an absolutely fantastic goal in terms of importance one that stands out for me is probably the the goal away at Leicester it's not the cleanest of finishes he's sort of toe punted it through Schmeichel's legs that's that's an art in itself because he that entire game he was trying to get it through Schmeichel's legs uh, but he managed to do it and obviously that meant so much to the club to turn around what originally was a horrific result that we don't really want to remember as as we're saying he's a standout player for Saints they would be in real trouble without his goals and I think that he really does deserve to be in anyone's team of the season and it's a real shame that the Euros have been postponed from his personal point of view because obviously he he had every chance of being in that team those are our teams from myself and Callum do let us know in the comments what you would have done. How would you 
have put your team of the season with only one player per club. It's not as easy as you think. So we're going to try and get another episode out to you soonish. That one's going to be all about Saints. We'll be heading over to Kingston Corner. We'll be having a few quickfire questions. So if you have any questions you want to ask us, then uh, please leave a comment on the podcast or, or message either myself. I am at T214 Murray. I am at Callum Wilson. 21. We hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, until next time, this has been Under the Lights. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Under the Lights. If you want to catch us on Twitter, our handle is at under underscore saints. So if you have any questions you want for the next podcast, please, you can contact us there. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it.